Let's go. Let's go. Oh, oh did you want to? Sorry. sorry. I'll let you. I'll let you. Next I'm in love with you. Snap out of it. I'll have what she's having. Too many guys think of a concept, or I complete them, or I'm gonna make them alive. But I'm just a fucked up girl who's looking for my own peace of mind. Don't assign me yours. Caustic wit is my religion. I would make a great queen because I am so stubborn. I say when it comes to stardom and Lauren, there are no accidents. Hi, Karen Peterson. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Citizen Dame, the podcast where, I don't know, we're just going to talk about Baby Yoda for, for an entire hour because I personally want to just talk about Baby Yoda. Uh, I am Lauren Humphreys-Brooks. With me, as always, is Karen Peterson. Hello, Karen. Hello. Yes, let's talk about the baby. All right, let's talk about the baby. <laughs> let, actually, let's. Let us start. We've got a few serious things to talk about, but let's start with Baby Yoda. Oh yeah. How much do we love Baby Yoda? We have discussed Baby Yoda previously on this podcast, but that was before I actually got to see the Baby Yoda show. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so Karen, tell me your feelings about Baby Yoda in this in this moment in time. So I feel like I was um, I don't know. I, I watched The Mandalorian the day that it came out, so it was like I didn't even know Baby Yoda was gonna be there. And so that moment at the end of the first episode where you see this, the cutest fucking thing that's ever existed. (laughs) I was just like, oh my gosh. And I just died. And then after that, for me, it became the Baby Yoda show. But it's been so, like, so fun over the months to see the the memes, to have Baby Yoda at my house now. Um, (laughs) She arrived a couple weeks ago. And, um... And then when you told me you were finally watching it, I was like, yes, I was so excited for you because she's just so cute. And it's like, the show's fine. I probably would have finished watching it anyway if there hadn't been a Baby Yoda. But that made it like, I it became my must watch like as soon as it dropped every week because I just had to know more about what was going to happen <laughs> to Baby Yoda. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, obviously I'm coming to this very, very late in terms of the cultural, the cultural conversation or whatever. But um but yeah, so my, my roommate and I, uh, we got Disney Plus for, we at least have it for the month because of Hamilton. So I was like, all right, well, we have Disney Plus. We have to watch the Baby Yoda show because I have not experienced the Baby Yoda show and it's right there and we're paying for it anyway, so we might as well. Um, and then, you know, I already knew that Baby Yoda had a special place in my heart because I had seen all of the memes and all of the gifts and all of the images and everything. But yeah, it's absolutely the cutest thing in the entire world. <laughs> and I absolutely adore Baby Yoda. I have to admit that um, I do not give a shit about this show. Otherwise, <laughs> it's fine. It's good action. It's like, I like the fact that it's basically a spaghetti western in space. Um, and And I enjoy that for what it is. But I don't. None of the shows so far, I, I haven't felt like this tension. I haven't felt like, oh, I need to know what happens next. It's really been more like, oh, yeah, and then he, like, fights someone. Or, oh, look, it's Werner Herzog. He's fun. Uh, and and that kind of thing. And then I'm just like, okay, yeah, cut to Baby Yoda. Where's Baby Yoda? I want to see the baby. <laughs> uh, and that's, that's, that's pretty much where I'm at. So, yeah, I, I am basically classifying each episode based upon what Baby Yoda does. 
in the episode. Like the episode Baby Yoda has soup mm-hmm. is very, very <laughs> important episode. Episode Baby Yoda is babysat. Uh, <laughs> I loved your little titles. They were so funny. <laughs> <laughs> But honestly, like, you know, props, props to Disney, props to Star Wars, props to Jon Favreau, because it, I, I absolutely have been watching this show solely because of this adorable little creature. Like, there's, to me, there's no other reason to watch it. And my roommate is going off just, just being, being like, no, but it's Star Wars. It's really cool. And it's like, a, it's like a Western. And I was like, no, there's a baby. It's an adorable little baby, and it looks like Yoda, and it's a baby Yoda, and oh my god, look at her walk, oh, she's so cute, oh, she can't walk that fast, oh no, all of that. Oh, just you wait, my friend, there's more to come. (laughs) Just like, oh, it's true, oh, look, she can lift her entire thingy, oh, look at that, it's such a capable, she's such a good baby Yoda. I, uh, a few months ago, when Taika Waititi was showing up to award shows and winning stuff everywhere, I was just like, we love him so much, we don't even care that he tried to kill Baby Yoda. I know, he did try to kill Baby Yoda, it was very mm-hmm. upsetting. Was like, the first time you- we meet Baby Yoda, he tries to kill her. <laughs> Rude. But we love him anyway. Uh, so yeah, Baby Yoda is a bright light in all of this darkness, and I, for one, am pleased that, um, you know, I'm actually getting a chance to watch. (laughs) I'm so happy for you. Yes, I am happy for me, too. Um, again, I, I don't, I don't know how much longer my roommate is going to put up with me squealing every time this, (laughs) this baby comes on the screen. You put up a lot, anyway, so I think it's, (laughs) I think it's fair. Yeah, exactly. Just like every, literally every time Baby Yoda comes on screen, I'm like, the baby. It's the baby. Yep. Yes. So everybody, definitely, you know, if you if you have Disney Plus, and most of us do now because we're all watching Hamilton. Yep. Uh, you know, once again, props to Disney. Very good marketing there. Uh, so yeah, do, do watch the Baby Yoda show just because it's Baby Yoda and you can ignore everything else. Like I'm hardly even paying attention to anything else that's happening. Mm-hmm. This guy with the coffee can on his head, like he's, <laughs> I don't know. There's a lot of, there's a lot of like blacksmithing montages, which like over the, over the first three episodes, there are at least three, there's a blacksmithing montage per episode. And I was like, how long, how long are we going to watch slow motion blacksmithing um can we not like i don't know why this is happening but (laughs) i know something to do with their with like the mandalorian religion or something like that i don't i don't care (laughs) well anyway the show is there to exist for lots of different people and lots of different interests so some people are stupid and don't love baby yoda and they need something else to watch for i think if if you don't love Baby Yoda, your soul is dead. Like it's I don't true. even know. I don't even know how you can justify. Like I don't like Baby Yoda. It's like no, fuck you. Like someone yeah. did the whole like who's cuter, Baby Yoda or Baby Groot? And I was like, that's not. That's how, why is that even a question? <laughs> Groot's cute, but come on. Yeah. Exactly. So, moving on, we do have some serious stuff to talk about that does not involve Baby Yoda. 
Uh, so we're yeah. just going to touch on this briefly because we really did, despite the fact that we always seem to get hobbled whenever we try to do this on this uh, podcast, <laughs> um, we did actually discuss, we were like, you know, what, let's just talk about some of the good movies we've been watching, like, you know, kind of a chill, fun episode about movies and stuff, and, you know, we can never, we can never have nothing but good things. Uh, so I, I thought that we should, like, have a conversation for at least a little while about, um, big quotation marks here, cancel culture, and what that means, and why we are discussing it a great deal. So for those of you who are, who've been unaware of this, uh, recently, the, this, this all kind of started because um, J.K. Rowling is uh, transphobic, which I think that we all kind of knew already. I mean, she said some pretty transphobic things to begin with um, numerous times. But for whatever reason, this particular this particular instance of transphobia, and she this was on Twitter, this was completely unprompted from what I remember. Um, she just began saying some very transphobic things about how trans women are not, quote, real women, um, whatever the, the hell that means, and talking about, you know, uh, the, the whole concept of biology and a lot of just very, you know, she was, it's, she was trying on. to, she was trying to say, and I'm translating, I'm not agreeing. <laughs> um, she was trying to say that women, that, that calling trans women, women deflects from issues that biologically born women um, face and that it makes the world more dangerous for them. Mm-hmm. That's what she was saying. And I was just like, but, um, what? <laughs> well, and, you know, it's not, it, as, as transphobic as it is, it's not a terribly, um, it's a fairly common statement, actually. Yeah. And, and it's the kind of thing that I think we've heard a number of times, uh, usually, usually from the older generation, usually from people who don't, who are, maybe are not completely aware of what being transgender means mm -hmm. um, and and it's a different definition of gender it's a very essentialist definition of gender it's it's gender based upon biology not based upon um, the, the, your actual experience of gender uh, and and so it's it's one of those statements that you're just like I'm not surprised that someone of her generation or of her caliber is saying this. It's very disappointing and and it's very actively damaging. And there are a number of trans activists who've talked about the fact that this is this is dangerous. The things that she is saying is, are, are dangerous. They're dangerous to the lives of transgender people. Yeah. Um. So not being J.K. Rowling and not being able to take criticism. <laughs> Uh, and, and not, you know, being able to backpedal at all on uh, on anything that she happens to say, even though a number of people were like, hey, this is not OK. And here's why uh, she doubled down on it. And this eventually turned into um, a, a massive Twitter kind of explosion where all of these people were arguing about uh, her attitudes towards trans towards transgender people, her transphobic comments. She wrote a blog post about it. She just kept on going, right? This is one of those instances where you're like, just shut up. Like you can stop talking. If you stop talking, things might get better, but you just have to keep on going. Um, the, so one of the things that actually happened this week was that uh, Harper's, released a letter entitled A Letter on Justice and Open Debate. And it's actually not a very long letter. It's only about three paragraphs. But it is essentially talking about 
the stifling of open public discourse and the canceling of people, um, uh, according to them, across the board. And this letter is very general. It's not addressing any specific instances. It's not directly addressing anything that J.K. Rowling said or the response to it. It's not addressing the um, uh, the incidents with uh, the editor of the New York Times. So it's not actually explicitly um, saying anything. But its timing is very odd, and the statements that it's making are very much like, you know, we cannot allow for this kind of this kind of attitude to to continue to develop. Uh, this is dangerous. This is illiberal. This is um, contrary to open discourse. This is contrary to internet discourse, etc. A number of people signed this letter. A number of very well thought of people, um, including J.K. Rowling and uh, and Salman Rushdie and Margaret Atwood and a number of fairly noted conservative uh, writers, including David Brooks and Jesse Single. Um, and so this has, of course, created this this new dialogue that has been going on for a little while, really ever since the beginning of the the Me Too movement, but has particularly developed uh, late uh, during this year about this whole question of cancel culture, what is cancel culture? Does, is it even a thing? Is this real? Right. And, and what does it, what does it ultimately mean? And is, is this actually, you know, an attempt to suppress free speech and free and open debate? This is very problematic as we know. Uh, and we've been talking about this kind of thing actually a lot on this podcast because we've been talking about a number, the, the number of men and women who've been outed as abusers, who've been outed as racists, as sexists, as misogynists, as homophobic, etc. And usually they're being outed based upon their own words, right? So this is not like people are going around just accusing, willy-nilly accusing J.K. Rowling of being transphobic. It's something that she said publicly, which then received a response. So what do you think about all of this, Karen? I, I'm, I'm sitting there going like, I don't even know if cancel culture is a word, is a term that we should be using right now. Yeah. Um, I have a lot of thoughts and I'm not even sure quite where to start. Um, reading this letter, I was like, okay, the text of this letter is a lot of stuff that I don't disagree with. I think mm -hmm. that, that we do have a tendency, and I've seen it, I've even participated in it sometimes, where we build these these echo chambers and we don't want to engage in conversation with anybody that has a different point of view. I've seen that happen. And on one level, I was like, okay, I think this is part of what they're talking about is that we're mm -hmm. not we're not willing to engage with people that disagree with us. We don't. Uh, we don't want, like, it's getting increasingly difficult. Uh, and I know other people have felt this way the entire time. But for me, it's becoming increasingly difficult to talk to my family about anything political because we're the divide is just so big. And there's nothing productive anymore that comes from that. You know, how do you talk to a Trump supporter rationally? Mm -hmm. um, and not all my family are Trump supporters. But... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just to make that clear but the ones that are it's like I can't talk to certain people in my family anymore about anything political because even though I am not all the way on the opposite end of the spectrum I'm somewhere in the middle um 
it's just this weird, like, they've developed this whole thing that if you don't like Trump, then you're a crazy liberal person that we have nothing to say to each other. It's like, they've developed that too, you know? So it's just interesting. And so on one level, I see that point of, like, we need to be able to have disagreement. We need to be able to have debate. We need to be able to respect different opinions and different points of view on certain things. But... I think, first of all, cancel culture is a lie. Uh, We've talked about that on this show before. Most of the time when we say that, oh, people are being canceled, they're not. Um, If anything, there's maybe a pause. Maybe, you know, someone loses a a job that they really wanted or an opportunity that they were going to get. But it's almost never permanent cancellation. If it was, Louis C.K. would not be getting gigs at that whatever that club is, you know, like these people still get opportunities. Cancel culture, really people being canceled are trans people being murdered. You know, Mm -hmm. um, the, the lynchings that are happening across the country, that is what those people are actually being canceled. They are being silenced forever. They will never be able to speak up again. Um, but that's not what people are talking about when they say to cancel culture. And I just, I don't know. I think that we're we're looking at one entirely big discussion instead of separate the separate issues that these are. Mm-hmm. Because some of this really we're in an era of consequences. And I actually saw someone refer to I don't remember who, but I saw someone refer to like, well, we shouldn't be calling it cancel culture, we should be calling it consequence culture. Because, I mean, I remember this discussion several years ago. I can't think of the guy's name right now, but the guy who used to own the Clippers and all this racist um, stuff that he had said came out and he ended up being forced to sell the team. And there were a whole bunch of people because the other team owners across the NBA were like, we can't put up with this. And so a lot of people were like, oh, you can't you can't make him sell his property, you know his Mm -hmm. team for that but it's like okay because the the one thing that people love to spout is freedom of speech but that doesn't mean like just because you're free to say whatever you want doesn't mean that you're free free from the consequences of saying it it doesn't mean that there's no no recourse against people if you say something hateful or or inciting violence against others or or whatever yeah, no, it, exactly. I, I And I think that, you know, some of this does seem to be an, an over, like you're saying, it's an overlap of issues mm-hmm. that are really separate issues. And and one of the things is this, and we've talked about this numerous times, There there's a misunderstanding of what, you know, freedom of speech is. And and so, yeah, the, the, the you know, a number of these authors and a number of these people who are talking about this keep on trying to, to basically call this censorship. Right. Yeah. You're censoring me. You're censoring my right to, to free speech, to write what I feel, to write what I think about. And it's interesting to see someone like Salman Rushdie on that list, mm-hmm. um, you know, who has obvious, who has literally <laughs> who famously has a hit on his head. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Who has been threat, like physically threatened and who has famously been censored. Right. And so in some ways, I, I, I kind of understand stand that attitude but it is it's an old attitude it's a reaction it's an ultimately reactionary attitude mm-hmm. um because there is this conflation of free speech 
and freedom from consequences. Yeah. And and it, it is kind of like, yeah, if, if I say something homophobic or transphobic, I am allowed to say that, right? That is something that I am allowed to say. That is a, I can put those words together and I can speak them out into the world. People's reactions and the way that people treat me and the way that people think of me after that is not something that I can, one, control, and two, that's the consequence of my actions. If I scream something homophobic or racist in the middle of a street, then there are going to be consequences for doing that. There are going to be consequences if I do that on Twitter, right? And now I'm not a big famous person or anything like that, but there's a chance that I would lose jobs, that I would lose money, that I would lose, I would certainly lose friends, etc. But so it's, it's like saying, well, you can't, there, there is this attitude of like, we, what, do we have to put up with horrible behavior constantly because it's your freedom? You know, it's your right to say those things. Like, what yeah, about it is, my freedom to say, no, I'm not going to listen to you? Yeah, exactly. There And there have been, I mean, and, and the thing is, people have kind of pointed this out numerous times, and it never seems to completely stick because you then get into these arguments about like, well, you're canceling people. People are getting fired because of this. Like, look, if I find out you know, that J.K. Rowling is transphobic or that, um, you know, that so that uh, a, a producer is racist or a director is racist, I then get to make a choice. I get to make a choice about whether or not I read those books, watch those films, or if it doesn't matter, you know, if it doesn't matter to me. And chances are I'm going to make the choice that, you know what, I'm not going to engage with this person's art anymore because I don't want to support them. Uh, either with my voice or monetarily in continuing to be racist, misogynist, homophobic, whatever assholes. Like, that's my right. I do not, uh, there's no requirement that I go out and buy J.K. Rowling's books, right? Yeah. And J.K. Rowling cannot make me buy her books. It's just like, well, how dare you not buy my books? It's my freedom of speech. <laughs> it's like, well, it's freedom of my fucking wallet. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I get to choose what kind of art I support. Yeah. And you know what? And I do want to know. I do want to know if J.K. Rowling is transphobic. I do want to know about um, misogyny. I do want to know about those things because it does actually affect the way that I choose to spend my money and that I choose to spend my time, right? I'm not going to engage with the work of someone that I'm sitting there going, like, you know what? Actually, I think this person is really racist. And, and be like, well, in, in purchasing their book or in purchasing their film, I have given them money. I've given them support. Right. Yeah. And so, so yeah, there, there's, I, I agree with you. There's a lot, there's a lot of nuance that is being lost, I think on all sides. Yeah. I think one of the things that's happening is that people are really afraid because like, Oh, people are digging through my old tweets, old Facebook posts and finding stuff. It's like, okay. I mean, I've thought that too. Like, gosh, I wonder if I have tweeted terrible things in the past. I know I've never tweeted anything like like this stuff that we're talking about. <laughs> but, like, I know for a fact I haven't because I don't think those things. But um, but I know that people do live in fear of, like, oh, what's someone going to uncover from my past? Like, okay, first yeah. of all, you can go through and delete that stuff. Um, second of all, it's... it's like, okay, if there is something that I said, you know, 10 years ago that was really racist, should that affect me and my opportunities now? I would hope, and what I think we've seen most of the time, is that people judge for who you are now. And it's it's informative to know where someone came from, but 
when like look at James Gunn and him getting fired off of Guardians 3 it was like yeah these tweets were old but there were there was a consistent pattern that had lasted beyond those particular tweets and that's what people were mad about it wasn't well plus what he was saying was so egregiously terrible but um but you know what I mean like am I making yeah. sense I don't know if I'm making sense like no, you have to show that that you've grown and that you're not that person anymore otherwise yeah that stuff should come back to bite you in the ass yeah no exactly and and I I do think that we have to note that so far a lot of you know if you're, if we're talking about particularly the, the signatories of the Harper letter mm-hmm. um most of those people still have careers yeah JK Rowling still has a career you know even if tomorrow every single human being on this planet stopped buying Harry Potter anything Mm -hmm. uh she would still be a millionaire right that there is no there is no doubt about that right just from the residuals alone just from the money that she has made so far alone so and and you know what and ultimately i don't think that it's going to make that much of a difference i do think that next time she publishes a book people are going to purchase it right uh and maybe not in the same numbers as perhaps she's she's come she's become accustomed to but People are still going to buy it. There's, so she still has a career. All of these people still have careers. Most of them are very are fairly high-powered people. These are celebrities, right? These are writers who are kind of at the top of their um, of their respective industries. And 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 you know, talking about James Gunn, right? James Gunn gets fired off of off of a film. Well, he's fucking making the Suicide Squad now. Like and he nothing got rehired re- back on to Guardians Three anyway. Exactly. Nothing. Nothing really happened to James Gunn, right? And everyone was just like, "We must support James Gunn." It's just like, no, I really, really think that the straight white dude is gonna be fine. Like, right. I, I have an inkling that that's going to happen. But that's one of the issues I think that that is coming to the fore in all of this is that you know, and we've talked about it before on this podcast, the number of people, and it's particularly straight white men, but it's also straight white women. Um who get chance after chance after chance, not just showing, not just after saying something stupid, right? There's a difference between saying something stupid and saying something hateful or doing something hateful or having a pattern of hatefulness. Right. So these are people who have done numerous, who have done or said numerous hateful things Mm -hmm. and they still get hired and they still make money and they still continue to be quote forgiven. They still get their second and third and fourth and 20th chances. And we're still having this conversation. You know, we, we saw earlier how, how much relief there was when Harvey Weinstein went to prison, mm-hmm. right? That sensation of like, and the reason why there was so much relief was because we didn't think it was really gonna happen. It is so shocking to see someone who had that much power actually be punished for this something that he semi-regular did. Semi-regular reminder that Harvey Weinstein is a rapist and he's in prison. Harvey Weinstein is still in prison. Uh, yeah, but but so I, I just remember that sensation of, of, of relief and of shock. I was legitimately, because yeah. I had prepared myself for him to be acquitted or for him to kind of get a slap on the wrist and for that to be it. Mm-hmm. Um, I was ready for that. Like, I was just like, it, whatever happens, it's going to be okay. Whatever happens. And it was this sensation like, Oh my God, he's actually going to be punished. This is yeah. actually a thing that's going to happen. And, and, he, and Harvey Weinstein's an extreme example, but you think that the, the level of shock and of relief 
when someone who has so obviously committed crimes and so obviously been a horrible human being um, and hurt so many people actually gets punished. And then we're talking about, you know, people like J.K. Rowling, who, as far as we know, has not committed any crimes. She has said a lot of really dumb shit stuff. And she could also grow and she could also learn and she could change her mind. And that would be something that would be a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I do think that that's the other side of it. We, there, there is that tendency to kind of be like, you said this one thing in 1990 uh, and, and therefore you're a horrible human being. And, right. and you do have to look at the trajectory of someone, some, someone who has been like, okay, well, what have they actually done in their lives? Have they changed? Mm-hmm. Have their perspectives altered, right? You know, I, I, I know for myself that my perspective on a lot of things has altered over the past five years, even the past two years, mm-hmm. right? Now, that's not going to excuse. If I went off and said something horrible on Twitter, uh, that's not going to excuse being that horrible. But there is a growth that is possible, and there is a change that is possible, and that should be possible for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, but also, at the same time, you know what? It is no one's responsibility to forgive you. Nope. Uh, no one if, is required to. I don't I don't necessarily earn that, you know, or you have to earn it. You, it's not something that's owed. Yeah. And so even if, if tomorrow J.K. Rowling said, you know what, I was wrong. I'm really sorry. I'm going to try to make amends. I'm going to try to alter the way that I think. I'm going to try to talk to people more, et cetera. If she said that, that would be a good thing because mm-hmm. it would show growth and it would show personal change. And, and she's a powerful person. She actually has the opportunity to make good, a good cultural impact. But that does yeah. not mean that the transgender community has to forgive her. That no. does not mean that it's just like, oh, okay, well, never mind, you know, because she has hurt people. This is hurting people. Mm-hmm. These attitudes hurt people. And that is, and the person who's doing the hurting is not allowed to determine when forgiveness is is allowed when, when, all right, well, I've done enough now, so I should be forgiven. Right. Yeah, Um, exactly. But I think that we look at, oh, this person's getting canceled just to bring it back to that. But usually that's, I mean, our time, our, um, uh, what's the word? Our attention span is so short as humans that something may last for a few months and, eventually most things especially when it's words and not crimes most things eventually just kind of fade away and people yeah. forget about them they start ta- they stop talking about them i mean i think that in the case of jk rowling i don't think that a lot of people will forget what she said especially in the lgbtq community mm-hmm. and they shouldn't but eventually we're going to stop talking about this we're going to be talking about other things and other people and so long term, is she going to suffer real consequences for what she said? Probably not. And I'm not saying that that's right. It's just that's our nature as humans is to just move on to the next big thing. And so that's where people keep complaining about cancel culture. And that's where I say it doesn't exist. It's not real because none of this lasts forever. It's very rare that you're going to have a Michael Richards who basically his career was over after that rant on stage years mm-hmm. ago. And we never see or hear from him anymore. That's such a rare occurrence. Well, I, you know, I think about the fact that not that long ago, people began talking about Mel Gibson again. Mm-hmm. And cause Mel Gibson had said something terrible or no, it was, it was because of chicken run, right? Yeah. Uh, chicken run too, which has its own issues. But, um, <laughs> But so people began talking about Mel Gibson again. And, and what, what amazed me is I was just like, 
wait, haven't we done this? <laughs> like, like did, we've known that Mel Gibson was a horrible human being for ages, and the man has still had a career. And he's gotten nominated for Oscars, for fuck's sake. Just a couple years ago, like three years ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know, so, so, you know, and he said and did horrible, horrible things. I mean, truly shocking shit. Yeah. And... And and you just go like yeah but and and but the way that people were talking it was like this was a big revelation I was like did did you do you not remember what, yeah. what Mel Gibson, were you fifteen years ago Mel Gibson has all has been like this for at least fifteen years mm-hmm. like that we know of yeah that's I mean he's always been like this obviously you don't just suddenly wake up one day and become a racist but um but yeah the only reason we knew about it is because his his wife ex wife I don't know if they were divorced yet released released a voicemail mm-hmm. and that's how we that's how it really started to come out but I, I was just reading that thing a couple like a week or two ago from Winona Ryder where she was like yeah he said these things to me years yeah. ago at a party and it was just so shocking to her but she's the one who like suddenly she gets caught shoplifting and it's like this big scandal and we have to move her out you know and then it's years before she can come back Whereas he gets to just say and do whatever he wants without yeah. consequences for a really long time. And sometimes he gets consequences and he gets like kind of put away for a bit, but he always gets to come back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, uh, Alicia Grasso on Twitter actually, I think said it really, really well. And she's gotten a lot of abuse as a result of it, but mm. she said it really well. Cancel culture has always existed. It's just that it's historically punched down at women and people of color who dared rise above their station. Uh, it wasn't until it started punching up at powerful white men and some white women that it suddenly became a problem. Weird, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's right. about the size of it, you know. So so they, like you're saying, Winona Ryder struggled and got canceled because she shoplifted. Meanwhile, Mel Gibson can call her names and uh, say horrible anti-Semitic and racist things and sexist things, and he gets nominated for an Oscar. So. Yeah. Yeah, uh, the, the the one thing that I think that is, is kind of, uh, one of the things that I like in terms of the Harper's letter is that it's indicative of fear. There are a lot of very powerful people who are frightened, mm-hmm. and they've been frightened for a little, for quite a while. Uh, and so that kind of response is like, oh my God, this might be coming to get us. We might actually see consequences as a result of this. And, and I think that that's a good thing when the powers that be are frightened and begin reacting like that, that's saying that, that they see something changing. Yeah. Uh, and, and I do think that that's important. And that's something that's important to note. This, it might actually be working. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <sighs> that's a good point. And the thing is that there's hope for most people because yeah. I mean, I think about, it's so funny because when people point out like, well, this is a racist attitude or this is, you know, white female white white female feminists whatever and i think man i used to think these things too like mm-hmm. i'm not we've talked about this too like i'm not racist so ha- you know having these opinions or whatever is fine and now it's like so easy for so much so much easier for me to spot things that are problematic and and racist in other people that i'm like oh I used to say say stuff like that, you know, and it's it's interesting. So I mean, it's possible for people to grow and change, and I hope that 
you know, I hope J.K. Rowling will learn. I hope that she will educate herself. I don't trust that she will. But, you know, some of these other people, too, whatever it is that they're afraid of, whatever it is that they're worried is going to, you know, come out or that they can't say or think or whatever, I hope that they will take this time to really educate themselves and understand other points of view and understand understand other people. And I think that's the only way that we can all move forward together is to to foster understanding and growth together. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I agree. Well, let's move on to some happier, happier things. Uh, let's let's talk. Let's talk about what we've been watching. And one of the things that I wanted to start with is because I know that this is something everybody's been talking about pretty much. Hamilton. Yes, let's talk about Hamilton. Let's that's talk not about problematic. Hamilton. <laughs> Speaking of things that people were like, actually, Hamilton is bad. Um, which, you know, and there were some good points, but it also got lost in the, well, actually kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, let's talk about Hamilton. Hamilton uh, has the, the Broadway show... Uh, underwent a recording back during the um, one of the last performances of the the original cast and it was initially supposed to be released in October I believe of, of this year. year of next year I thought it yeah. was this year 2021 uh, and with the pandemic and everything like that um, they decided to to give give all of us give all of us a little bit of a gift and actually released it uh, the day before July 4th uh, so that we could all experience on Disney Plus, so that we could all experience the wonder that is Hamilton. Which uh, I actually, I want to comment on the release date too, because it was it was the timing was interesting, and I'm glad that they decided to move it to when they did, because you know the things that have been going on since May when George Floyd was murdered. Um, it's I I was approaching the Fourth of July this year like how do I celebrate America? I'm not, (laughs) I'm not proud of my country right now. I don't want to celebrate it, you know? And so it was interesting that they chose to release it the weekend of the 4th of July and like to kind of remind people that there are still things worth celebrating and that we can come together despite our differences. So I thought, I, I don't know. I just thought that was actually pretty cool. Yeah, no, I, I agree. It actually made my, it definitely made my 4th of July much more, yeah, that sense of pride was actually there. And I was like, yeah, this, we're, we're not a bad country. We we have issues. Yeah. But we're, like, Americans are not bad, right? And we do have things that we should be proud of. And we also have things that we should be ashamed of. Mm-hmm. And that that's part of patriotism, too. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that. I'm glad, you know, despite the fact that it all worked out like this because of some horrible things going on in the world, there there are those little glimmers of light, and and this was definitely one of them. And this was some, and it was also nice to to finally get to have kind of more of a national conversation because everybody got to see it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even for for relatively cheap. <laughs> especially yeah. in comparison uh, <laughs> to what tickets have cost. Um, so, so, yeah, so Hamilton is, is I mean, it's been kind of this massive thing. It has been a massive thing for years. Uh, it is. It was fascinating to watch. It was very well shot. Like, um, 
they they obviously put a lot of thought into the way that they were going to film it and it was nice to actually get to see close-ups and get to see more of the actors faces more of what you would experience if you were sitting in one of the front rows versus where most of us got to sit which is way way far back Mm -hmm. uh and so so it was nice to actually have that kind of more up close and personal experience and, and get to see all of that so i had listened to hamilton numerous times uh i got to go see the broadway show a couple years ago uh it was uh, a later cast but still really amazing um but so so what did you think about this karen this was this the first time that you had gotten to listen to hamilton or had you heard it before and so i've never seen it yeah, I tend to avoid listening to recordings of, of shows until I get to see the show, just because um, even though they're really good about those Broadway recordings are really good about avoiding spoilers and things, um, usually, I, for me, it's like if I see stuff out of context, then I'm, I don't like it as much, so... Uh, so I didn't, I had, I had heard a couple of the songs, like I'd heard Quiet Uptown, and mm-hmm. I'd heard, I can't remember which one, I'd heard like two or three of, of the songs before, because sometimes I like to listen to just Broadway music, but um, I, I didn't love them, again, out of context, and so it was a show, I was like, I don't want to pay so much money for a ticket, you know, like it just, I wasn't going to pay $400 to go see a, a performance of something that I might not like, you know, there's mm-hmm. so much else I can do for $400. And so, um, so I hadn't ever seen it on stage or anything. I didn't, I didn't really know. I knew the history cause I studied history, but you know, I didn't really know the show. And so last Friday I, you know, I was all ready and I sat down and I was like, all right, I'm going to do this. And I, started to get this feeling like I think I'm really gonna like this and I did I absolutely loved it I was blown away by it one of my big early impressions was if I'm not supposed to like Thomas Jefferson then you shouldn't cast David Diggs because <laughs> <laughs> damn <True>. but uh <laughs> but overall I just it's really it's it's almost unfortunate that this is my introduction because I don't know how I could go see someone else play these characters on stage now. But now I'm like, okay, I would like to be in an audience in a room full of people enjoying this together because it's it's phenomenal. And since Friday, since I watched it, I have listened to the soundtrack a couple of times. And now that I know the context and I know the order that things go in and and the way that the show works, it's like the music is really, really great. And yeah, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it really is a great show. One of the things that I liked, uh, again, and I, and, I, and you miss it if you listen to the, um, the cast recordings is some of the little things, mm-hmm. right? So like the King of England staying on stage <laughs> after his last song to watch the American kind of experiment fall apart, right? Mm -hmm. You know, to watch the Adams administration, to watch the Reynolds pamphlet and things like that. Um, And and I, and I like that those little, or, you know, the, the I'm so blue and he stomps (laughs) down and make the the light change and everything. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And and those are the kind of things, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to get that 
on a recording, obviously, because it's it's the it's about the way that it's staged, right? Uh, uh, and and everything, and yeah, and this this time, I think that this was I I've listened to the the soundtrack numerous times all the way through, and and I got to see the show, but this time was the first time that I paid attention to certain things, and um and and there's so much power in the show, and there is so much power also seeing the number of people of color and just non-white people mm-hmm. on stage portraying these iconic figures, these, you know, these historical figures, these people that are, are mytholo- have mythologies in their own right. And, and it, is, it is very interesting to watch David Diggs, who's a black man, uh, you know, playing Thomas Jefferson and and mentioning people like Sally Hemings and having this debate about slavery, et cetera. And so it's really interesting to actually get to see that because you hear it and you know about it, but when you actually see it happening, um, it is a very different experience. It One adds, of the most, sorry. Well, it adds an extra layer of, yeah. or, or, or just a deeper level of really understanding how insidious slavery is when you see a black man touting it, knowing that like, oh, him saying those words, that's got to be painful for him to say that, you know? And it just, it makes you really appreciate um, how, not, not not that I've ever thought slavery was okay, but it just makes it even more just like, really just like gut punch of like, oh my gosh, this is a really terrible thing. Yeah. Yeah, there's the, and there's also um, a certain line very early on in the show, and it's Aaron Burr, uh, who who's basically advising Alexander Hamilton um, about how he should behave. And when he when he says, you know, talk less, smile more, mm-hmm. uh, fools that run their mouths off wind up dead. And there is a lot of power in a black man saying that to another person of color, mm-hmm. like. There, and and I think that that's a layer that you, again you do miss on the recordings to to really process the fact that there there's undercurrents here that it's not just about you know Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr and you know be careful because it's the revolution and everything it's like this is a black man that is saying this mm-hmm. um, and and I do think that it, it alters the way that you un- also the way that you understand Aaron Burr all the way throughout the show. Uh, it's it's a I mean it's a fascinating recording I'm I'm glad that people are getting to to experience it and and it's also just very well put together like it's riveting you can sit some some broad some like live recordings like this from Broadway are not terribly interesting because you kind of got the cameras sort of placed at the end of the stage and that's basically the way that you look at them this was really well put together really well edited together um, and just a really interesting presentation of of a very complex story it's a really good film. It is. It yes. is. Yes. It's a film. It's not a. It's also not a it's, documentary. Um, no. Nope. No. Nope. Which is a type of film. Yeah. <laughs> but that's not the type of film that this is. <laughs> but yeah, the the thing is too. I mean, I know that this got a lot of criticism and just converse spark conversation when it first came out about like, oh, well, they're just, you know, race swapping the founding fathers to be edgy. Mm-hmm. And it's when you actually watch the show and watch it in context, just to add on to what you were saying, um, it's, it's very intentionally done. It's not just because white people don't have enough rhythm to carry off those musical numbers because they don't. Um, but it's, it's also, it's very intentional and very deliberate in yeah. the reasons for having a predominantly 
predominantly a cast of people of color and black people that's there's very strong intentionality behind that and I think it makes it a really powerful experience yeah I I don't know how you can say that that you know they haven't thought this through when you've got a, a black man playing Thomas Jefferson and one of the only white faces on the stage is the king of England yeah mm-hmm. I mean yep. I think it's it's difficult to just be like, oh, no, this isn't intentional or, oh, no, this isn't making a comment or anything. We could argue about what the commentary is and if it works, but it's definitely there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> For sure. Yes. Uh, so so what else have you been watching, Karen? <laughs> what are things that you're just like, man, this, I've seen some great movies or some great TV shows that you just want to recommend to people? So I had to laugh. And this isn't the only thing I'm going to bring up, but this is the first one I'm going to bring up because I want to get it out of the way. But um, I had to laugh when you say, okay, we're going to talk about happier things because the first thing I wanted to talk about was Jeffrey Epstein, Filthy Rich on Netflix. <laughs> and that is not happy at all. Um, it's a four-part documentary series <laughs> that gets it right. It's like, yeah, this is not not happier things, but it's really important. And this is... It's um it's a documentary series. Each episode is just about an hour and it gets into this web, this really terrible um scheme that he built up and someone calls it a sex trafficking pyramid scheme, which is exactly what it was and I've never seen or heard of anything like it and I knew I knew about you know, last year when he got arrested, I I learned a lot about what Jeffrey Epstein had done, but I didn't really understand it. And I didn't understand how big and how deep his network was until I started watching this is directed by a female director, Lisa Bryant. And, um, and what's cool about it is that it really focuses on the victims. It focuses on the women who survived him and who came forward and, and, told their stories about what he did. And it's really interesting because what I didn't know about his story, not just that he was connected to people like Prince Andrew and, you know, Donald Trump, but, um, but that he would also, he'd get girls, teenage girls to recruit their friends. And um, he would, you know, like, oh, you don't want to do this for me. Okay, but if you bring me else, some, someone else who will, I'll pay you still. And and that's how he set up these these just crazy networks of girls. And that was kind of where the pyramid scheme from came from because it was like one girl would recruit two and then those two would recruit two more. And it just, mm-hmm. it, was just it was just so sickening to see this. But it was really, um, but watching these women tell their stories and seeing where they're at today, it leaves you feeling very like, okay, this is, this is, there's something hopeful here. And, um, I highly recommend it. It's, it's difficult to watch at times because it's really blatant about what happened, but it's really important and very powerful. And this is a story that's still unfolding. I mean, Epstein Mm -hmm. killed himself a year ago, almost one year ago. Exactly. Um, but, Ghislaine Maxwell, his girlfriend, was just arrested last week. And 
earlier this week, Deutsche Bank got hit with a huge fine because they never reported some of the things that were clearly wrong, like some of the money transactions Mm -hmm. he was making. And so this is a story that's still going and to really understand it and to understand um, some of the things that people are talking about and some of the the big, well-connected people that are afraid right now, you need to to see this and really understand the the whole history of it. It's great. It sounds intense. It is. It is. And I I don't know when I would have gotten to it if I wasn't you know interviewing the director, but mm-hmm. um, but I could have talked to her for hours. It was so fascinating, and there's just so much. And like I said, I mean, the good thing about it is that so much of the focus is on the women. And them telling their stories. And just to see that, like, they've come through this and they've healed and their their lives are moving forward. It, it makes you feel like, okay, this is some, some, like, this wasn't just an entirely horrible thing, like, that. I'm not even sure how to say this anymore. Mm-hmm. But, um, but, like, there, there are good things. This wasn't the only story for them, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Like, they've they've moved forward. They've Their lives are are okay. They've survived it. That's good. Yeah. Oof. That's... Not happy, but we'll get to Fun something things. happy in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Fun things. Well, yeah, I, actually, it's interesting because I've not watched tons of new stuff um, other than, like, stuff like The Mandalorian and... Um, uh, and Hamilton, things like that. But but we did actually have a question that kind of feeds into some of the things that I've been watching. Uh, so I'm going I'm just gonna present it right now from at Gamecock Mitch, uh, who says, "Enjoying my Criterion gift." Uh, this is the person who won our contest. Uh, watched Summertime with Catherine Hepburn last night. Can each of you give me a recommendation to add to my list? And that's dangerous. That's really, really dangerous to just be like, oh, give me a recommendation. A recommendation, Lauren. A recommendation. There are, I mean, I, I will, I will say this right now, and I do, I do actually share the Criterion channel with some other people, but the list that I have right now is up to 330 films, <laughs> and I've watched, I've watched a few of them. That's that's just on that list, and I've kind of left them on there for other people. But it's still, like, crazy. So I'm always checking things like, you know, what's going off at the end of the month? What do I definitely want to get to? Uh, so here are a couple of things that um, that are going off at the end of the month. Criterion is weird because sometimes things will go off at, like, the in the end of July, and then they'll be back at the beginning of September. So, you know, if you miss certain things, don't despair. They, they will likely come back. Um, but one of the films that I think we've actually talked about, uh, once or twice, but I actually got to watch it not that long ago was The Champ by mm-hmm. King Vidor. And it is going off at the end of the month. It is a fantastic film. It's, uh, it's a boxing movie, but it's not really about boxing. It's about the relationship between a father and a son. And it's heartbreaking. It's beautiful. It's funny in its own way. It's very sweet. It was written by a woman. It was written by Francis Marion. Uh, and and it's, it's just a fantastic and fairly short film. I think it's only about an hour and a half. Um, but it's it's a gorgeous movie, so I, I highly recommend that. The One of the other films is um, Elio Petri's Investigation of a Citizen Above Suspicion, which is an Italian film from 1970 and is actually 
it's almost a Kafka-esque sort of satire um, about a police investigator who commits a murder and then investigates himself. It's a fast, it's a fascinating film. It is very bizarre, uh, but it's very much about kind of the, at the time, it's a, it's a critique of the, the more fascist tendencies in the Italian state and is very much talking about this whole issue of law and order and things like that. And frighteningly, frighteningly, it's fairly applicable to our current period. Um, but it's a really interesting film. It's a really well-made film. It's it's intense, but uh, it's it's very much worth it, I think. Um, and let's see. I think that I had one more that I wanted to mention. Uh, the Man with the Golden Arm, which stars uh, Kim Novak and Frank Sinatra. Frank Sinatra, who I usually do not like on screen, but I actually quite liked him in this. Um, and it's about a guy who's who just gets out of rehab, basically, Uh who used to be a heroin addict, and he was a um, he was a poker dealer for a back alley poker game, and it's about him kind of trying to go straight, trying to avoid falling back into his addiction, and his relationship both with his wife and with um, a, a young woman played by Kim Novak, who is a stripper at one of the local bars. And it's just a very well done film. It's directed by uh, Otto Preminger, and so if you've seen any of Otto Preminger's other films that's you know kind of indicative of the way that this film is going to go uh it's it's fantastic it's very well acted it's very um again very intense but quite rewarding i think and and it's one of the best depictions of addiction that doesn't that neither romanticizes it nor villainizes it uh it is about addiction in a lot of ways as a sickness as something that someone can has to resist constantly and can fall back into and can also bring themselves out of because part of the dialogue that goes on in the film is about if you go back, is there, is that it for you? Is there no hope left basically? Should, are you, do you just have to give yourself into being an addict for the rest of your life? Um, and it's, it's a really, really interesting and really well-made film. So those, those are three films that are going off of Criterion at the end of the month. And I, I highly recommend them if you haven't already seen them. Awesome. I have one recommendation that I will make, and that is actually a pretty recent movie. It's from 2017. It's I Am Not a Witch. Oh, I haven't seen that one yet. Oh, watch it. It's so good. Um, it's a debut director, Rungano Nioni, I think is how you say it. She's from Zambia, and um, that's where the film is set. And it's about this little girl who um, she is like eight or nine and she's an orphan and for some reason they think that she's a witch and so she ends up in this camp that's like a witch camp and it's run by this this government official who's like corrupt and um he uh he ends up turn basically turning her into like this um like he he just starts marketing her and so people come cuz they want to see this little girl witch and he ties her up and, and tells her that she's going to, I think he tells her she's going to turn into a goat or something if she tries to run away. And so she has like at nine years old, she has to make this decision if she's going to just give in and live this way, or if she's going to try to get away. And it's, it's funny and weird and it's, but it's not, it's not just like a straight comedy. There are moments where you're just like, Oh 
that's so funny because it's so ridiculous. You know, it's very satirical and really, really well done. And this little girl is just so good and so sweet. And the people around her are just really good, too. And it's one of those movies where you're watching this going, I can't believe this is a first time filmmaker. This is really a stunning debut. So I highly recommend that one. I'm going to have to watch that at some point. Yes, do. Uh, so so in terms of the things that I have been watching as well, I've been watching a lot of the Criterion channel because um, that's that's just what I do. And that's, that's how I relax. I watch, you know, Western noirs and stuff like that. <laughs> so I have actually been, the Criterion channel right now has, has a, a set of films called, that they're calling Western noir, which are kind of films with cowboys and and gunslingers and stuff like that, but that are also also very much kind of veer towards the um, film noir aspects. Uh, and one of the, I think honestly, one of the best westerns that I have seen in quite a long time. Uh, I I just watched this yesterday. Is Day of the Outlaw, which is a 1959 film by Andre de Toth, who uh, was sort of known for for basically doing film noirs and westerns. And this this I believe is his final western. And it is a great film. It stars Robert Ryan as uh, sort of a cattleman slash gunslinger who uh, lives in this very small town in Wyoming. And there's there's an inherent conflict going on between the more recently settled farmers who are trying to put up uh, fences and things like that and the cattlemen and um and riders who who want obviously there to be open land, and so there's this conflict that's developing between the two of them. Meanwhile, Robert Ryan also happens to be in love with one of the farmer's wives, uh, <laughs> which complicates matters and everything. But into this comes uh, a band of outlaws led by Burl Ives, who are very violent and nasty and unpleasant people, and they essentially take over the town, a town that has this is a fairly isolated town in the mountains. It has uh, no law particularly. Um, and, and it's about the tensions that develop within the town and trying to, to kind of navigate towards surviving these outlaws staying there for, for one day. And it's, it's a great film. It is very tense. It is very, um, dark, but it is so well made. It is so well acted. I don't think that we understand what a good villain Burl Ives can be. And, uh, if, if, you know, I, he's famous. He's famous for singing stuff like "Froggy Went a Courtin" <laughs> uh, and things like that. But he was also a fantastic actor, and uh, it, he he is wonderful in this. So and so is Robert Ryan, who always kind of straddles the line between between the villain and the hero, uh, and and he's definitely doing that in this film. So I really recommend that one. It's Day of the Outlaw. Awesome. Um, I have a couple more things that I saw, but two of them this. This was kind of a documentary week. Uh, I watched two other documentaries on Netflix. Um, Athlete A, which, man, maybe this is why I was so tired last night. I was just so mentally exhausted from all the horrible things that I watched. But Athlete A... You're watching intense shit, man. I know! Um, I did watch something really sweet and light, though. Um, Well, kind of. I don't know. Um, But yeah, Athlete A is the story about Larry Nassar, the... the U.S. gymnastics team doctor who is, I believe, now in prison for a very, very long time um, for sexually abusing gymnasts for years. They said that he has over 500 victims, nine of which were Olympians. And um, 
But again, the documentary, it's about the facts of what he did and how he got away with it. But it's mostly about the women and their stories and what has happened in their lives since then. And and again, it leaves it on this hopeful note of like, this doesn't have to end, end your life. This, you know, this can be a chapter and, and you can move on to other things. And so it, it was really well done, really good. But um, something that was a little bit happier, although I realize it's actually kind of a little bit sad too, <laughs> is a documentary called A Secret Love. Um, did you watch that one? No. It's, um, it's about two women Terry Donahue and Pat Henschel. Those their names? Yes. Terry Donahue actually played in the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League back in the 40s. And um, they met and fell in love and had to keep it a secret because for so much of their, their lives, you couldn't be out. And... Um, so they just lived as roommates forever and their families, especially Terry's family didn't know anything because she was afraid that they would not understand and that they would reject her and stuff. And she was really close with her family. And so this documentary is about the last five years of Terry's life. And it starts off with, with her coming out to her family and, and saying, well, aunt Pat's actually um, my lifelong one true love and my partner. And it, it, lets the family react to that and really it explores kind of their complicated feelings about that. And it's interesting because I mean, I don't want to get into spoilers, but um, it's interesting because so much of, of the reaction is not about the fact that, that this is the truth, but that they didn't know all along, you know, and that it's the, the, why did you have to hide this from me thing? And so it's interesting watching them explore that, but then it it goes past that and it gets into real circumstances like having to deal with end of life care as someone's approaching their final years and and how that gets really complicated. But it's a really beautiful story and seeing these two women who so clearly have so much love for each other and they've been together for 70 years and it's just such a sweet relationship and, and just watching them together is just, it's, I don't know. It's a, it's a lovely, it's a lovely documentary and I, um, I highly recommend that. It's also a really good reminder of how far we've come in this country, but how far we still need to go because there are certain things that just certain laws and things that are built on archaic beliefs and systems that need to change. Definitely. That sounds really good. Yeah. Uh, So I I had two more that I just want to run through really quickly because um, I I think that a lot of listeners might have at least heard of these, but they're also in the Western Noir collection. The first one is Rancho Notorious, uh, (laughs) which is directed by Fritz Lang and is a Western that stars Marlena Dietrich, which really is all that you should need to know uh, to to go and watch this film. Uh, it It is a wild movie it is this like bright shiny melodrama it is fritz lang's last western he made three uh <laughs> and it is it's just like i i described it to one friend as um being almost as good as johnny guitar johnny guitar really is one of the pinnacles of melodrama western 
this is not quite there, but it, it's reaching it. And uh, it's wild. Marlena Dietrich is great. Um, it's it's basically about a, a guy again. A, a, um, I believe he's a farmer who is gonna who's getting married to a nice girl, and uh, a couple of outlaws ride into town and they hold up the store where she works. And one of the outlaws uh, rapes and murders her, and he vows revenge. And so he follows. He basically follows their trail, and it leads him eventually to um, Chuckaluck, which is a hidden ranch in the mountains uh, run by Marlena Dietrich that is basically a den of thieves where anyone who's, who's on the run from the law can hide out and no questions asked. And bas- basically she gets 10% of whatever they steal. And so he tracks these men down. And so he pretends to be an outlaw in order to, to find out who was the man that, that killed his, his fiance. Uh, but it's it's very much about Marlene Dietrich also being being Marlene Dietrich, and it, it's a very good film and crazy and intense and just wild. Uh, awesome. So there's that. The other one, which is another bizarre movie, uh, is Lust for Gold, which is advertised <laughs> as starring Ida Lupino and Glenn Ford. Uh, and then you sit through about the first 20 minutes and you're like, where are Ida Lupino and Glenn Ford? Because the first kind of the first 20 minutes and then the last 10 minutes are basically a frame story about the grandson of Glenn Ford, who shows up in this town that his grandfather used to live in and that he believes uh, somewhere in the, in the mountains is concealed a fabulous Spanish gold mine. And so he's looking for this lost mine that his grandfather found. And then you get a flashback, uh, which is the majority of the film. It's about an hour of the film to the relation, basically the relationship between Ida Lupino and Glenn Ford. And again, with Ida Lupino, she comes on screen. And you're just like, dude, she's going to try to kill you. Like <laughs> she's going to murder you so bad. Uh, and, and lo and behold, like she, she does. And that's not a spoiler because that's like basically something that she says within the first five minutes of being introduced. She's, she's just like, <laughs> I am going to entrap and possibly murder this man. So <laughs> Awesome. Uh, it is, I would not say that it is a good film, but it is a crazy one and I thoroughly enjoyed it. So it's, it's definitely one to check out. Again, one of the things that I like about these noirs and some of these Westerns is that they're all under an hour and a half. So they're really tight Mm -hmm. and they're very entertaining. And if they're not the greatest films in the world, they are very riveting to watch. So nice. So any other final recommendations before we close this out, Karen? I have one more, and this is actually out this weekend uh, on demand, so you can rent it this weekend, and that is Relic, which stars Emily Mortimer, and uh, this is a a horror film, but it's also one of the most emotional horror films that I can remember ever seeing. Um, It is basically it starts off with Emily Mortimer getting a phone call that her mother who is elderly and lives alone in the woods by herself um is she's missing and so Emily and who plays a woman named Kay she and her daughter get in the car and they go out to you know try to find mom and she shows back up after a couple of days like nothing ever happened and she clearly has dementia and 
there's just a lot of weird things around the house and something just isn't right. And so as they're trying to, to kind of help her, they're also trying to figure out what are those weird sounds in the walls and why doesn't she remember where she was at all or even know that she was gone, you know, that kind of thing. And so mm. it's, um, it's really, it's a little bit of a mystery, but it's, Similar to the Babadook, the horror is real, but it's not really what the movie's about. Mm-hmm. And I think it's so well done. It's such a great um, visual representation of dementia and what it does not only to the person suffering from it, but from but for the family that is living and trying to help them, too. And... Um, it's such a great film. Also just under 90 minutes. I think it clocks in at 89 minutes. And so it's really compact. It's really well paced and very well acted. Great performances from all three women. And um, I highly recommend that. And yeah, that's out this weekend. Awesome. Yes, I've heard really good things about that film. So I, I'm looking forward to seeing it. Uh, I think that's also a debut director, actually. Um, Yeah, Natalie Erica James. It's her first feature film. Really great. Wow, cool. Look forward to seeing that. Uh, So I think that that is going to close us out for this week. So we talked about some fun things and some serious things and, you know, cancel culture. And Baby Yoda and the wonders that is Baby Yoda. Um, so, as always, thank you all for listening. Uh, of course, we thank, we want to send a special thanks to our patrons. Um, Heather, Adriana, Crooked Table Podcast, Michael, Jacob, James, Katie, Cariata, Mason, Matthew, Monty, Nanina, Nicole, Robert, Sharon, Steve, Tao, and Will. Uh, we're really, as always, incredibly grateful to you guys for continuing to contribute to us and for keeping the lights on. Uh, and, and if you do want to contribute to our, our Patreon, uh, we're online at patreon.com slash citizen dame, you get bonus content and we actually do have some bonus content up. So, you know, there's a reason to, if you're, if you've been thinking about doing this, like, Hey, awesome, let's do it now. Uh, so we would really appreciate that. And it does, it does help us to continue, uh, to keep the podcast running and to run contests and stuff like that. Um, if you do want to get in touch with us, we are on Twitter and Instagram at Citizen Dame Pod. We are still on Facebook, facebook.com slash Citizen Dame. You can send us an email. That's citizendamepod at gmail.com. Uh, we do have a website. That's citizendamepod.com. You can find reviews and editorials and commentary and all sorts of fun stuff. Uh, you can also head off to our Zazzle store if you want to buy masks. I have been told that there are masks on there now because, you know, everybody wear your fucking mask. That's Zazzle.com slash Citizen DamePod. And if you want to just give us a few bucks but you don't feel like committing to our Patreon right now, um, we are on Ko-Fi. That's Ko-Fi.com slash Citizen Dame. And, of course, you can always get in touch with us individually. Karen, where are you? I am on Twitter and Instagram at Karen M. Peterson. And I am on Twitter and Instagram at LH Business. So that will close us out for this week. I believe that next week we are also going to have a very special guest. So watch out for that. Uh, We are so happy to talk to you guys and we will talk to you later. Bye. A civics lesson from a slave or hey neighbor Your debts are paid cause you don't pay for labor We plant seeds in the south, we create, they keep ranting We 
know who's really doing the planting. And another thing, Mr. Age of Enlightenment, don't lecture me about the war. You didn't fight in it. You think I'm frightened of you, man? We almost died in the trench. Well, you were off getting high with the friends.